Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 140 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's podcast episode, we're going to chat about an attraction over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, which is It's Tough to Be a Bug. This is the 4D show located inside the Tree of Life and was an opening day attraction at Animal Kingdom on Earth Day 1998. It was also an opening day attraction at Disney California Adventure in 2001, although the latter attraction has since closed as they removed a bug's land to make room for Avengers Campus. In this particular episode, we'll dive into some fun facts and details you might not have known before about this show over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and I'll also take you for a ride with me through binaural audio to experience it's tough to be a bug in 360 degree audio and at the end of the episode i'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show so grab some headphones pull up your favorite armchair and enjoy this episode of the imagineer podcast On Earth Day 1998, Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park opened at Walt Disney World. As a park devoted to the natural world and to conservation, the Imagineers had to think differently about the design of the park. Not only did they need to design environments that fit with the theme of the park, but also they needed to prepare those environments for live animals, making sure to maintain safe and comfortable conditions for these creatures. In addition, the Imagineers got to work on brainstorming a central icon for the park a structure that would clearly define the core principles of Disney's Animal Kingdom and stand as a visually stunning work of art. In my interview with former Walt Disney Imagineer McNair Wilson, McNair shared how an early concept was to create a life-sized Noah's Ark for the center of the park. The Ark would serve both as the park icon and the home for a show featuring live animals. While the arc fit the animal theme, the team soon realized that perhaps it had too much of a religious connotation, so they decided against this particular proposal. As such, they got back to work on designing an icon for this new kingdom. In the end, the Imagineers settled on an icon that serves as a symbol of nature, life, and vitality in many cultures around the world. A tree, or more specifically, the Tree of Life. Standing at 145 feet tall and able to withstand 145 mile an hour winds, the Tree of Life is one of the shorter park icons at Walt Disney World, but it's also perhaps the most visually stunning, complete with over 102,000 leaves of five different shades of green, over 8,000 branches, and 325 animals sculpted into the tree. The Tree of Life is so massive and intricately designed that it took a team of eight Imagineering sculptors over two years of full-time work to complete. Not surprisingly, one of the Imagineers on the team was a legend at Walt Disney Imagineering, Zolt Horme. Zolt is a master with plaster and cement, and he has helped to design countless mountain structures at the Disney parks, including the gorgeous floating mountains in Pandora, the world of Avatar. According to the Imagineering Field Guide to Disney's Animal Kingdom, which was written by the Imagineers, quote, The Tree of Life is one of the most amazing pieces of art ever created by WDI. It's beautiful and meaningful and captures the essence of this park at a glance. It's a poetic statement of the majesty of nature, the stunning diversity of animals, and our respect for our place in the world, and underscores the ideal that all of these elements can coexist harmoniously. In our story, the animals are not carved into the surface, they've grown out from it. As one approaches the tree and the animal forms begin to reveal themselves, it becomes clear that there is almost no tree at all. That tree is the animal kingdom." End quote. 
The field guide goes on to explain that, quote, the tree of life is a metaphor that exists in the mythologies of many cultures around the world. It is seen as a source of life and an emblem of symbiosis. Within the WDI mythology for Discovery Islands, the tree is supposed to have been the first thing here. The village came here to the tree. It is the source of life and of water for the village and Discovery Island, and presumably for the rest of Animal Kingdom as well." End quote. That last point about the mythology for Discovery Island and the Tree of Life is one that I learned while training at Disney's Animal Kingdom in 2007. In fact, the story of Tree of Life is taught and told as a fable. Like any fable, the story varies slightly from cast member to cast member, and it's likely evolved over time as a result. Nevertheless, here's how I like to tell it. The fable begins with a single ant. A long time ago, Disney's Animal Kingdom was a barren land devoid of life. Along came a tiny ant who, rather than giving up hope, saw opportunity. The ant planted a seed and took care to nurture its growth. In time, the seed grew into a tiny tree. The ant continued to nurture the tree, which grew bigger with each day that passed and became known as the Tree of Life. Eventually, the tree grew so big that it attracted more animals to this land. Once again, seeing opportunity, the ant taught the other animals how to plant more trees. With each new tree, new animals found their way to this new residence. The tradition continued with each new residence, and the once barren land soon became a lush kingdom teeming with life. The idea of this kingdom beginning with a single ant also fits well with the attraction now residing within the tree. Another fun fact you might not know about the Tree of Life has to do with its base structure. Rather than create something entirely from scratch, the Imagineers actually took the idea of conservation a step further than just the underlying message of the park. The Tree of Life's structure is actually a recycled oil rig turned upside down, an idea conceived by one of the Imagineers who got the idea while watching an educational program about offshore oil drilling. In fact, if you look up construction photos of Disney's Animal Kingdom, you can clearly see the rig turned on its head. This fact provides a powerful metaphor for the park. As drilling for oil might not be the cleanest or safest way to extract energy from the earth, the tree represents one less oil rig in circulation and provides an example of how something so simple can be repurposed into something new, something beautiful, and perhaps even something inspirational. The Imagineering Field Guide provides a few additional facts most guests don't know about the history of the Tree of Life. First, while the tree is thought of as a baobab, which is a tree native to Africa and one you can find on Kilimanjaro safaris, the final look for the Tree of Life was actually based on a particular bonsai tree that the Imagineers found at Epcot's International Flower and Garden Festival on one of their trips to Orlando. In addition, while the Tree of Life inevitably became the home of its tough-to-be-a-bug, the Imagineers originally had two additional ideas in mind. First, they thought the base of the tree might be the home of a restaurant they would have called the Roots Restaurant, which was planned to be the finest eatery at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Second, original designs called for a viewing area within the tree. Guests would have been able to ascend the inside of the tree to the very top, where they would have enjoyed an overlook of Discovery Island and the rest of the park. As a fan, I would have particularly enjoyed this experience, especially with modern-day views of attractions like Expedition Everest and Pandora the World of Avatar. While the Tree of Life in itself serves as a gorgeous icon at the park, the Imagineers still felt that the tree needed an attraction. After all, Epcot has Spaceship Earth, a ride inside the giant geodesic structure, and Disney's Hollywood Studios, then still called Disney MGM Studios, had the great movie ride when it opened, a ride inside the park's central structure. About halfway through the design of the Tree of Life, the team realized that a theater-based attraction would be the perfect fit for the space provided within the base of the tree. The problem was they didn't quite know what to base the show on. They knew the show should carry some sort of environmental, conservation-based message, but they weren't quite sure who the story should follow. Early on, the team thought perhaps the 1994 Disney animated hit The Lion King might serve as a popular concept, but the characters and story didn't quite fit the mythology of the tree. In one particular concept meeting, the Imagineers were pitching ideas to Michael Eisner, who was the CEO of the Walt Disney Company at the time. The team was struggling to come up with a solution to the theater story, and the solution actually came from Michael himself. Thinking of the team at Pixar, Michael mentioned that the studio was busy working on a movie called A Bug's Life. He felt that the bug theme was perfect for a theater located inside the roots of a tree, and the Imagineers agreed. 
The rest, as they say, was history. At the time, designing the attraction around a bug's life was quite a gamble, although not unfamiliar territory for Disney. The attraction opened with the park on April 22, 1998, which was more than six months before A Bug's Life debuted in theaters. As such, not only were guests unfamiliar with the film characters and the storyline when the park opened, but also there was no way to tell if the film and thus if the attraction would be a success. Similar gambles were made in the past, though. In fact, Sleeping Beauty Castle opened on Disneyland's opening day of July 17, 1955, unveiling this legendary Disney icon a whopping four years before the Sleeping Beauty movie made its debut. In a way, Walt was taking less of a gamble on the film's success and more of a gamble on the icon's fit within the park. The Imagineers at Disney's Animal Kingdom followed a similar philosophy, focusing less on whether A Bug's Life would be successful and more on how the story could fit within the park. In other words, part of the success of It's Tough to Be a Bug would be to focus the story less on the events of the film and instead focus on the attraction's storyline, using a select handful of characters from the movie, two to be exact, to attract guests to the experience. Nearly 25 years later, it's safe to say the Imagineers made the right call. It's Tough to Be a Bug not only still exists at the park, but it also remains quite popular. Much like Muppet Vision 3D at Disney's Hollywood Studios and Mickey's PhilharMagic at the Magic Kingdom, the theater frequently fills to capacity, 420 seats to be exact, and rarely has much of a wait, essentially operating at the perfect hourly capacity for guests, roughly 2,500 guests per hour. The queue for It's Tough to Be a Bug, whose name is also a twist on Ward Kimball's 1969 animated short It's Tough to Be a Bird, begins on the east side of the Tree of Life, just across from Flame Tree Barbecue. Guests slowly descend their way to the base of the tree, making their way through small tunnels and canyons under and around the roots of the tree. I know it's a bold statement, but the queue for It's Tough to Be a Bug is one of the biggest reasons I enjoy this attraction, as the queue feels like its own Discovery Island walking trail, complete with some uniquely gorgeous views of the Tree of Life. In fact, there are many animal sculptures in the tree that you can only find by meandering the queue for this attraction, and the Discovery Island music loop provides a serene backdrop to this relaxing walking experience. Once guests enter the lobby for the theater, they grab a pair of 3D glasses, or should I say bug eyes, and wait in an enclosed area designed to look like the roots of the Tree of Life. Along the tree walls, guests will find various posters for shows playing at the Bug Theater, all clever puns of real Broadway productions as if they were hosted by a cast of lovable bugs. Such examples include Beauty and the Bees, Little Shop of Hoppers, My Fair Ladybug, website story and a cockroach line this part of the queue also features instrumental versions of various broadway hits as if they were played by an orchestra of bugs these tunes include beauty and the beast tomorrow i feel pretty one and more in fact here's a quick sample of the music you'll hear in the lobby for the attraction Thank you. 
Once guests enter the theater, they find a seat, of course moving all the way to the very end of the row per cast member instructions, and get ready for the production. Once the safety instructions are announced and the show begins, a production crew of fireflies shine their lights around the theater to try and find Flick, which is part of the show kids and kids at heart always seem to adore, much like looking for Bean Bunny inside the Muppet Theater on Muppet Vision 3D. Hanging upside down through an ant tunnel in the ceiling of the theater, Flick welcomes guests and lets everyone know they should put on their bug eyes, making them feel like welcome guests in the theater, or what he calls honorary bugs. Flick shares that the purpose of today's show is to help everyone understand why it's so tough to be a bug. The lovable cast of bugs is ready to help guests understand what a vital role insects play in maintaining the health of the planet and why humans should treat bugs with love and respect. In fact, if not for what happens later in the show, this attraction might be the perfect kid-friendly experience as the bugs in Flick's act are truly adorable and the acts presented are as fun and mild as most other 4D experiences. The show also includes some important facts about bugs, like the fact that they've been a part of the planet for over 300 million years and make up over 80% of the animal world. First up, Flick introduces his Chilean tarantula friend, Chili, sharing how Chilean tarantulas are able to throw poison quills at their enemies with deadly accuracy. Chili proceeds to demonstrate as two supporting bugs catapult acorns one at a time off a web toward the audience. With each acorn, Chili aims and hits the target spot on. As the acorns burst right in front of guests, 4D effects in the theater send short bursts of air towards guests, which alongside the 3D effects makes it feel like the quills come incredibly close to the audience. Unfortunately, the last acorn in the act is taken by another bug, who holds the acorn in front of the audience and teases Chili. Growing frustrated, Chili sends rapid-fire quills toward the acorn, missing every time. The friendly tarantula eventually gives up and tries chasing after the acorn on the bug as Flick apologizes and brings out the next act. Next up, a soldier termite enters the stage as Flick explains how termites spray acid to ward off intruders and predators. Calling himself the Termite-Ator, a pun on the Terminator, this soldier termite showcases how he sprays acid at intruders. Moments later, he turns his attention to the audience, thinking all the guests in the theater are intruders as well. Flick tries to convince him otherwise, but the soldier termite proceeds to spray acid at the audience, which of course is a simple water effect used in most 4D shows. Flick apologizes once again and then invites his third act onto the show, a stink bug fittingly called Claire de Room. At a safe distance, Claire gets ready to demonstrate how she uses her odious stench to ward off predators. Unfortunately, the bug being chased by Chili earlier in the show comes back into the scene and moves Claire's target over the audience. Claire adjusts and sends her stench toward guests, which prompts scent machines in front of each seat to send the stinky scent toward each individual. Once Claire leaves, Flick gets ready to introduce the next act, but is quickly interrupted by Hopper, who appears in the front right corner of the room as a larger-than-life animatronic, one of the most complex animatronics made by Walt Disney Imagineering at the time. While Hopper is voiced by Kevin Spacey in A Bug's Life, a fun fact about, a, about Hopper in the attraction is that he was actually voiced by Pixar director Andrew Stanton, who also provided the voice for such Pixar characters as Crush and Emperor Zurg. Hopper menacingly asks Flick about the human presence in the room, and Flick explains that he's made everyone in the audience honorary bugs. This infuriates Hopper, who sends in some help to take Flick away. Hopper then provides a case for how humans have mistreated bugs and see insects as monsters. He then proposes giving us honorary bugs a taste of our own medicine, starting out with a giant fly swatter that swats down at audiences, a simple 4D effect of course. Now this is the point of the attraction that actually gets quite frightening both for young kids and for adults who might be afraid of insects. Hopper declares war and sprays a giant can of bug spray, which is just missed of course, into the theater. Within a matter of seconds, the entire room is engulfed in misty spray as the theater goes pitch dark. Hopper sends in some hornets next, and a convincing 4D air effect accompanied by surround sound audio makes it seem like a hornet has just stung you through the back of the chair. Next, Hopper instructs a group of Black Widow spiders to jump down from the ceiling. 
at which point about a dozen animatronic Black Widow spiders come cascading on their webs from the ceiling and end up just a few short feet above the audience. Hopper sends the Black Widow spiders back to the ceiling of the theater and proceeds to explain to guests how nothing can stop bugs. Flying onto the screen in digital form, Hopper comes close to the audience but is then quickly eaten by a large reptile who pokes his head out through a burrowed tunnel in the back of the theater. While the most frightening effects in the room last a short 45 seconds, it never fails to send some young children and their unsuspecting parents through the exit doors. Still, it's one of the reasons I always recommend reviewing the safety warnings for Disney attractions as you never know what surprises the Imagineers might have in store. At this point of the show, Flick prepares the cast for the finale and reminds the audience that we should care how tough it is to be a bug because they make our world, quote, one honey of a place. This prompts a show-stopping number written by Imagineers George Wilkins and Kevin Rafferty. Much like Xavier Atencio wrote the lyrics to Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, alongside George Brun's Pirate Melody, Kevin Rafferty wrote the lyrics to George Wilkins' attraction song that's also called It's Tough to Be a Bug. This sh- song is catchy and short and fun, and in case you haven't heard it, here it is now. We're Fresh fruit and flowers. Give thanks to us, Fox, for our marvelous power. If it weren't for the fact that we like the taste, you'd be out there wallowing in shoulder high waist. Shoulder high waist! And give all the At the end of the song, a bug comes flying in with an old cupcake. The bugs become excited and chase after the bug holding the cupcake, which prompts the end of the show. The Imagineers have one final surprise in store, though. The announcer asks all honorary bugs to remain seated so that the bugs in the theater may exit safely. At this point, a special 4D effect in the seat which is similar to the sensation you'd feel on uh, your back in a massage chair, makes it feel like bugs are crawling on your seat under you. This always prompts lots of screams and laughs from the audience as the doors open and you exit to your left to another gorgeous view below the Tree of Life. With the success of It's Tough to Be a Bug at Disney's Animal Kingdom, the Imagineers soon decided to add another version of this experience at Disney California Adventure, which opened with the park on February 8, 2001 in a bug's land. The attraction lasted at California Adventure for 17 years and was removed along with the remainder of a bug's land to make way for Avengers Campus, which opened on June 4, 2021 and will of course be the topic of a future podcast episode. While it's tough to be a bug can be frightening and unnerving for some guests, especially when Hopper enters the show, it's an attraction with a history at Disney's Animal Kingdom as old as Kilimanjaro Safaris and Festival of the Lion King. To this day, it remains the only formal attraction on Discovery Island, and it's one I like to enjoy on many visits to the park. That being said, it's a show I probably won't be taking Maggie to until she's older, old enough to understand the special effects in the theater, and it's one I recommend those with little ones enter with caution only because those few frightening moments can be rather ty- terrifying for younger honorary bugs. In addition, if you or anyone in your party for any reason might be frightened by this experience, I do have a suggestion that I've found to reduce the intensity of the show a little bit. Instead of sitting in the middle of the room, see if you can sit at one of the four corners of the theater. Sitting at the extreme end of the theater not only removes you a bit from some of the action, but also it provides you with the opportunity to turn away toward the side of the room. It's by no means guaranteed to completely remove the intensity of some of the scenes you'll experience, but it does make those scenes slightly milder, including darkness as the safety lights along the automatic doors will be illuminated nearby. At this point, I'd like to take you with me for a ride on It's Tough to Be a Bug at Disney's Animal Kingdom. If you've never experienced the show before, I hope this audio paired with the show description I provided can help you picture what the show is like. 
Nevertheless, if you're up for it on a future trip, it's one that I recommend experiencing at least once, again, keeping the safety warnings in mind if you are with anyone who might be frightened by the experience for any reason. As always, when listening to this audio, I recommend wearing headphones or earbuds to get the most realistic experience possible, but listening on speakers should still provide an enjoyable virtual ride-through. With that, let's head to the Bugs Theater and enjoy It's Tough to Be a Bug. Thank you. 
stop her though. When he shows up. Perfect. 
here. And with bugs making up more than 80% of the animal world, we're the biggest cast of them all. Still, you guys just don't seem to see us. So uh, that's why we gave you the special bug eyes. Now, now go, go ahead, put, put them on. Mitten, huh? Yeah, the, now you're all honorary bugs. So uh, on with the show.
recommend to reptiles? Well, they just don't seem to care that it's tough to be a bug. But you guys should, because we make your world one funny of a place. And with that, we close out episode 140 of the Imagineer podcast. I hope you found this podcast episode to be interesting. I know not a lot of people think about it's tough to be a bug in terms of history and details, but there really is a lot to discuss about this particular attraction, especially considering it's a 4D show. I am always amazed by what I learn when I dive deep into some of the Imagineering details and some of the history of some of our favorite attractions. I, of course, want to turn this conversation over to you and hear what you love most about It's Tough to Be a Bug. If you don't experience it, then let me know what, if you were to experience, you might look forward to the most if you uh, did get the chance to experience this attraction. You can send me your answers and feedback as always in so many different ways. You can reach out to me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn at Imagine Your Podcast, on Twitter at Imagine Your News, or even better, perhaps the best place, definitely take a look at our Facebook group, which is the Imagination, also called the Imagine Your Podcast Disney Fan Community, because that's a chance for you to not just send me your answers, but also interact with other listeners of this community. And we talk about things well beyond this these podcast episodes as well so you can uh, join us over there and i do have a link to all of these social media channels in the description of this podcast episode and over at imagineerpodcast.com 
And I would encourage you to sign up on YouTube or subscribe on YouTube so you get some video content as well. I've been trying to upload as much video content as I can. And you can subscribe over at youtube.com slash Podcast. If you don't already subscribe to the show, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And of course, if you have a moment to leave us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts in particular, even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, or even on Spotify. Both of those places are a great place to leave us a rating and a review, which goes a long way to help this show out. And I want to thank the more than 660 of you who have left us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. It goes a really long way to help this show out, and I'm so appreciative to those of you who have taken the time to do so. If you'd like to take your love of Imagine Your Podcast to the next level, definitely take a look at our Patreon group over at patreon.com slash imagineyourpodcast, where you can unlock a lot of extra bonus content, a private Facebook community. We do private events together, including uh, right now we're doing weekly calls, which are so much fun. We do them during our lunch break or a typical lunch break for a lot of people at work, about a half hour just chatting about all things Disney, um, which I have really enjoyed. Plus, we do weekly Disney Plus watch parties together. It's just a lot of fun content and community aspects to enjoy in our Patreon group, and it all goes to help support the show except a portion of your proceeds also go to support various charities throughout the year. So you can learn more, see what's currently available because these terms and conditions are subject to change depending on when you're listening to the show. Again, by heading to patreon.com slash podcast, which I have links to in the description of this episode and at imagineerpodcast.com as well. And when you're ready to book a trip to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line or any Disney destination for that matter, please do consider working with our travel partner, Magical Park Vacations. They offer a complimentary service in helping to plan out and book your Disney vacation. They can help to work within your budget and even make you aware of discounts that become available, including after your book your trip. They can actually retroactively and automatically go in and apply discounts that might become available later, which is even better. Uh, You can learn more about them by heading to MagicalParkVacations.com and also definitely consider working with their sister company, WDW Park Planners, which you can learn more about at WDWParkPlanners.com. They are a concierge planning service. They are amazing at what they do. What they do is they work with your family to create a personalized itinerary for your trip. So if you haven't been in a while, if you've never been before, or if you just want an extra set of eyes, someone who can provide more recommendations, it's kind of like reaching out to me if you were to ask me how I would plan your vacation, except they're even better at it. Um, And they can and will create a personalized itinerary for your family day by day, including places to eat, things to do, ways to to strategize in terms of how you navigate the parks, attractions you go to first. They are amazing at what they do. And even if things come up during your vacation, they reach out or you can reach out to your concierge planner on the spot and ask what to do. It's like having a Disney friend by your side through your entire vacation. It's such a useful service to use. Um, And again, you can learn about them over at www.parkplanners.com and their in-person tour company, Magical Park Tours, over at magicalparktours.com. Last but not least, I want to encourage you, as always, to go after your hopes, dreams, goals, whatever they might be. Take that first step today to make your dream a reality. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. that ant that stood up to me. Yeah, but we can forget about him. Yeah, it was just one ant. <laughs> one ant. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's just one ant. Yeah, boss. They're puny. Hmm, puny? Say, let's pretend this brain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> nope. Well, how about this one? 
Are you kidding? <laughs> How about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing, the joy is never-ending, and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Contact Magical Park Vacations to book your Walt Disney World Resort vacation today. Call 585-662-3686 or visit MagicalParkVacations.com.